Sentire Media. Hello, you. You're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 137, The Republic of San Marino. First of all, a confession. This episode is a bit of a cheat. In the first place, because we are talking about a different country from Italy. But I thought, since it's smack bang in the middle of Italy and surrounded by Italy all over the place and the people of San Marino speak Italian, well, why not talk about it? It's very interesting and it does cross paths with some of the events we're about to discuss. Secondly, I've decided to do this now because I'm a bit behind with my studies since I've been busy preparing an audio tour of San Marino for the Voice Map app So I thought rather than not release an episode, and since I had all of these notes, I would anticipate an episode I was going to do later anyway. So here we are, Republic of San Marino. San Marino is a lovely little city surrounded by a country, basically, between the Apennines and the sea in northeastern Italy. Its main mountain has a really cool name, Mount Titan, Monte Titano. It's about 700 meters above sea level, only about 15 kilometers from the sea. You can see it from afar, with its three main towers rising up above the surrounding countryside. It claims to be the oldest existing republic in the world, dating its foundation back to the year 301 AD. It was supposedly founded by San Marino himself, Saint Marinius, a stonemason who came over from Dalmatia, present-day Croatia, to Rimini to work there. As well as being a stonemason, he would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if he did this in his spare time or while he was working to make things interesting for the others, but in any case, he did preach the gospel. Soon enough, he was haunted by anti-Christian persecutions and fled the city of Rimini and sought refuge up on Mount Titan. There, he founded a religious community that would grow and become the present-day republic. As with all saints, there are some nice legends regarding Saint Marinius, in particular his friendship with a bear. There are various versions of the legend, as there are with all legends. My favourite goes something like this. San Marino would often take his donkey and make his way down to Rimini to talk to the bishop there. In the area around Mount Titan, there operated a group of bandits under the command of their captain, Rufus. One day, they decided to lay a trap for Marinius. As he made his way down with his donkey into the city, they set an ambush for him. After staying in Rimini, St. Marinius made his way back. Shortly before reaching the position where the ambush was supposed to take place, he felt hungry, so he tied his donkey up to a tree and made his way into the woods to look for berries. 
As he was doing so, a ferocious hungry bear attacked the poor donkey and devoured him. When St. Marinius returned, he was not afraid of the bear. He was angry with it and scolded it for eating his poor donkey. Then he told the bear that it would have to replace his donkey, and the bear humbly accepted, and he was bridled and saddled, and off St. Marinius went. When he arrived at the location of the ambush and the bandits jumped out, they were terrified to see the ferocious beast and ran away, never to bother the saint again. From that day on, Marinius and the bear became the best of friends. And if you have the pleasure of visiting San Marino, you can see a frieze of him and his bear near Piazza Titano, Titan Square, and also in the basilica that bears his name, the Basilica of San Marino. It seems that shortly before dying at the very ripe old age of 90, St. Marinius spoke to his congregation and said the following words, Relinquo vos liberos ab utrosque omine. I leave you free from both men. With both men intending the Pope and the Emperor. These are the words that the Republic of San Marino bases its freedom and its origin on. Unfortunately, these words reflect a worldview from a much later period, in which the Pope and the Holy Roman Emperor dominated the European political scene, so some centuries later. However, who are we to get in the way of a good origin story? It seems that the settlement of San Marino remained a mainly religious one for many centuries. Indeed, until the 9th century, we have no trace of any civil buildings, most importantly, a castle. It is at this point that we have an interesting event which would characterize the future of the Republic for some time. It's actually more common than you would imagine in times of violence and battles, but San Marino seems, in its history, to excel at this, and that is winning legal battles. Indeed, in the 9th century, there was a dispute between a certain Stefano of San Marino and the Bishop of Rimini, Del Tone, regarding lands that belonged to San Marino. Rather than escalate into violence, a judge was called in to evaluate the situation. He studied Roman law, but also Lombard and Frankish law, and in the end, he decided in favour of San Marino. Perhaps this was a wake-up call for the people of San Marino, because then in the 10th century, civil buildings started to appear, in particular a set of walls and a castrum, a castle. We find this evidence in a diploma by King Berengarius II in 951. Now I'm sure you will remember perfectly who King Berengarius II was, but just in case, I'll remind you. He was the guy who popped up in 951 to become king very briefly and attempted to kidnap the wife of the previous king, Lothar. It is then that Otto I intervened, took Queen Adelaide for himself, and declared himself king of the Kingdom of Italy. The castrum, the castle, instead, appears in a bull by Pope Honorius II in 1126. In these centuries, San Marino continued to expand its holdings, mostly purchasing surrounding land. 
San Marino was obviously not immune to the whole communes craze, and they also started to elect consuls alongside a legislative body with the heads of the most important families of the Republic. It was also not immune to the whole Guelphs and Ghibellines business. Indeed, when it came to the time of Frederick II, so the early 13th century, they were predominantly Ghibelline and sided with the emperor as long as things were going well. They even received an anathema by the Pope, but they were forgiven. The 13th, 14th and 15th centuries for the Republic of San Marino saw a very delicate balancing act between greedy neighbours, particularly the Papal States, the Montefeltro dynasty of Urbino and the hated Malatesta of Rimini, the real arch-rivals of the Republic. Indeed, aside from a few isolated events, the relationship with the Montefeltro of Urbino was a very good one. The Montefeltro looked benevolently upon the Republic, gave them advice and often protected them. The Malatesta, however, always attempted to bring the settlement on Mount Titan under their control, but would never succeed. In 1291, we see another controversy, this time between the Pope and San Marino. That year, a legate was sent to ask for the submission of the Republic and for them to pay tribute. Once again, a judge was called in to evaluate the situation. And once again, we had a surprising example of rational, peaceful, legal exchange between sensible human beings. The people of San Marino pointed out that they had always been free and had no obligation to the Pope at all. A judge analysed all of the antique documents, listened to both sides and once again decided in favour of the people of San Marino. The Pope, rather than push the issue, accepted. And that was that. At least with regards to the Papal States and at least for the moment. Next, it was the Malatesta of Rimini who tried to lay claim to the Republic. And the Malatesta invoked the help of Pope Boniface VIII, who once again sent a legate, and once again, after studying the question, he decided in favour of the citizens of San Marino. That, again, wasn't the end. A farcical situation followed in which the Pope tried to sell San Marino to the Malatesta, obviously ignoring the basic trade issue that you need to actually possess something before you can sell it to someone. Things continued on this way, with the Pope occasionally being annoying, the Montefeltro protecting and the Malatesta being outright aggressive. But it wasn't all peace and judges. Indeed, in 1463, the Republic participated in an anti-Malatesta league, along with Pope Pius II and the Montefeltro. The Malatesta were defeated, and the Republic of San Marino got some extra lands and cities out of it, that they keep to this day. The Malatesta family at this point were reduced to only Rimini after having held lands all around the area, and the succession passed from the great Sigismondo to his son Roberto. The Pope at this point wanted to press his advantage and take Rimini as well. San Marino and the Montefeltro, however, were not pleased about the idea of having the Pope's lands all around them, 
knowing that they would probably be next. So things turned around and San Marino and the Montefeltro supported the Malatesta against the papal forces. They helped the lords of Rimini break the siege of the papal forces and claim victory on the 30th of June, 1469. It is in 1491 that Sanremo saw their status of republic officially recognized by its neighbors. They would jealously guard that freedom for the centuries to come, and in all that time they would be conquered only three times very briefly. Once in 1503 by Cesare Borgia, as we will see, again in the 1730s by the papal forces, and finally in 1944 by the Nazis. When Napoleon came along, San Marino showed great wisdom and a long-term vision. Indeed, the French emperor offered to extend the lands of the Republic all the way to the sea, but they very politely declined, wanting to avoid any future issues with armies hoping to go up and down the coast. The help that the Republic gave to Giuseppe and Anita Garibaldi in 1848 as they were escaping after the fall of the Roman Republic was one of the reasons that San Marino maintained its independence after the unification of Italy, setting up friendly and collaborative relations with the newly formed nation. And to this day, the two republics live side by side, or let's say one inside the other, in perfect harmony. I hope you enjoyed that little trip to San Marino. It's more of a general summary than an actual episode, as I hadn't really written much down. We'll hopefully be back to our regular episodes within a couple of weeks. Just as soon as I finish sifting through the gigantic volumes I got from the library. Thank you very, very much for listening. Thanks in particular to my lovely Patreon supporters. Starting with the second half of the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, and that is Julia G, Mary T, Old John in Milwaukee, Orlando D, Kevin, Mark P, Marxist Leninist Sicilian, Mella, Mitus Porcius, Mike M, Neville, Niels, Paradise, Patrizia Kappa, Philip B, Roberta D, Rob L, Rodney N, Rudy F, Scott L, Sean M, Shelby, Stephen, Tap Dance Down Under, and TO5. And of course, the tippy top, Maria Montessori, and Dante Ligieri Level, Paolo, Lisa K, Andrew M, Peter W, Kevin O, David L, Renat, David C, Oak, JW, and Sen. Thank you, one and all. If you're so inclined, remember you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com or head over to our website to the support page and become a Patreon supporter and get access to ad-free episodes and extra content. Go and do it today. Why not? Grazie, grazie. Thanks again very much for listening. And until next time. Arrivederci.
Right. We are here to decide the case of the papacy versus the Republic of San Marino. Now, if I understand correctly, the position of the papacy is that they should own everything, absolutely everything in the whole world, especially that dumb little city on that rock over there. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Well, the position of San Marino is that they have always been free ever since some dude and or his bear said you were. That's good. I would also like to add, for the record, that the Pope stinks and is boring and a giant party pooper. How dare you! Noted. What? Do you have anything else to add? Yes, we put our towel there first on a chair. Ah, towel on a chair, eh? Well, that is important. What do you mean important? Quiet, please. Anything else? Yes, someone licked all the rocks on Mount Titan. All the rocks licked them? Really? Impressive. Yes, it was Lorenzo of the Long Tongue. Is there any proof of this? Yes, his cousin saw him do it. This is silly. How does licking things make them yours? Well... Have you never licked your food so no one would steal it? There you go. That is a good point. That is ridiculous. Anything else? We wrote our names on the walls. I didn't see that. We wrote them inside. Well, there's quite a lot here. Any closing arguments? I didn't want to bring this up, but... Go on. We called dibs. Oh, well, why didn't you open with that? That settles it. I hereby assign the lands upon Mount Titan to the people of San Marino forever and ever. Or at least until they run out of towels. Thank you, Your Honor. Sentire Media Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.